You know, Jesus was uh, practically yelling and screaming at the Sadducees and the Pharisees because he says, you basically, you don't want to enter into the presence of God and at the same time not wanting to enter in, you try to keep others from entering in as well. This is really the height of religion and the mind of religion is what we're going to talk about today. So, I'm Robert Winfield and this is Chapter House. The largest contributor to religious jetsam is the academic landscape of theology and reason. Now, I'm not talking about accredited Bible schools, but those colleges that teach religion or divinity as an extension of a balanced curriculum. Atheists who are teaching classes on the pretense of studying God. Many times, the motive seems to be to explain God in a way that's logical, uh, reasonable, and palatable, and to strip away everything supernatural because it's not logical, reasonable, or palatable. Religion has no validation in doctrine or dogma. The supernatural validates the spiritual, and the spiritual validates the religion. Christian religion will try and cover up who God says we are, what God says we can do, and what God says we can have. As a graduate of a Bible college, I understand how schools of theology can play a part in spiritual growth. Being plugged into a school based on revelation as opposed to just information makes a glaring difference. For some theologians, however, God has left the building like an aging rock star. They feed on complexity and conformity to ideas that in many cases are contrary to Scripture. The more way out the Scripture seems, the less they regard it as credible. Many Many scoff at the idea that the texts were simple enough to be given to illiterate first century farmers and fishermen, insisting it was too complicated for a layperson to understand, even though every person who heard the gospel when first preached by Jesus and Paul were first century common folk, as if God was a doof and didn't foresee that no one was going to be able to understanding. For some theologians, the apostles were in some way flaky, irresponsible, mistaken, politically motivated, or confused. Or it's the traditional interpretation that's flaky, irresponsible, mistaken, politically motivated, or confused. The fact that Mary being a virgin is indeed not factual, or Jesus was raised from the dead, it was just a political maneuver, this is a sad convenience in the sense that both of these are crucial and pivotal events in Christianity. Without them, we wouldn't have a subject to, for theologians to academize. This indeed is a mysterious blend of wing nuttery and religious malpractice to think of these events as recorded are not major, relevant, or correct. Most bizarre is that in all their studies, they haven't found themselves in scriptures. They are the scribes and Pharisees of our time. 
In days of old, they were caught up in self-importance, wearing long robes, sneering seats in press boxes at important events, and taking the front seats in the synagogues and now universities. Scribes, often called lawyers of the law, were not priests. Their main occupation was expertise in the law for payment. These are biblical atheists who make it their life focus to be contrary to Christianity. Powerless academic religion is mentioned in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This, my friend, is the fault of the church in its horizontal spread of impotent denominations or divisions. Powerless religion is easy to reject, and for all intent, the rejection is justified. Many have been taught a gospel that saves us from hell, but neglects the gospel that saves us from ourselves. Religion fills the void, and over a given amount of time fails to deliver. The result is fragmentation of the spirit and soul. The individual can no longer see the path that redeems them from sickness, disease, poverty, lack, loss, and even death. They do have hope, however, that they will go to heaven when they die. The academic realm believes that the Bible is flawed for the most part because it was written by men and is bound to their prejudices. But this doesn't take into account that the very academic analysis of this observation suffers the same credibility problem since it was too written by men bound to their prejudice. What is flawed is that God can make a universe and not a book. If he can't influence men to write what he wants, there would be no reason to think he can influence them to change their minds, and thus their lives. What would be the point? Corinthians explains this chasm. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-21 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, religion hates faith. It has more spin on faith than a whirling dervish. The reason being is that religion is based on the notion that everything that needs to be done is limited to what a human can do. Its only purpose is to create fodder for speculation about the truth and accuracy of the Word of God. Multiple denominations or divisions have a head start on showing the world that the body of Christ suffers from acute schizophrenia. The line's been blurred between karma and grace. Religion leads whole groups of young people 
into doctrines that have no relationship to the Word of God. They teach that the only reason Jesus died was that if we did stuff that God told us not to do or didn't do stuff He did tell us to do, we won't pay any penalties. But this kind of doctrine is anemic at best. He said, I have come that we might have life, not a safe and secure death. Now, it's easy to incorporate religious monologues, dialogues, and conversations, but once you become unorthodox, you have created a foundation for occultism. You don't have to be far from the mark to be spurious to Christianity. Religion and denominationalism are catalysts to confusion, and to use a marketing term, a confused customer will never buy. Religion has taken what should unite us and created a system to divide us. Being off one degree will, over a long distance, become a chasm. The word cult carries a lot of baggage, so much so that it's difficult to cite religion as such. One so-called scholar said, a cult is any church you don't agree with. But putting foolery aside, the word cult means a religion regarded as unorthodox, meaning not conforming to established doctrine, or spurious, meaning outwardly similar or corresponding to something without having genuine qualities. Most religions that have been regarded as cults fit this criteria regardless of the unsavory connotations of the word. Unfortunately, no one has thought of a more religiously correct word to the condition of being spurious or unorthodox. For instance, if you add another book to the Bible or change the words, your doctrine becomes unorthodox. If you change the motivation of the major players in Scripture, it's unorthodox. That's just the way it is. Doctrines based on Judeo-Christian philosophy are not always Christian, as established by Jesus in the first century. Most unorthodox doctrines are 19 centuries too late. This whole idea rallies the notion that what's built on a foundation is more important than the foundation itself. Paul said, if anyone preaches another gospel that I'm preaching now, it's false. He even doubles down on the issue in the same verse. Um, this is a clear doctrine. Either this has never happened, or we don't want to point out where it has or where it is. Let's look at Galatians. Galatians 1, 8 through 9. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preaches any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And then in, again in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11:4, 4, for you seem readily to endure it if a man comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you once received, or a different gospel from the one you then received and welcomed, 
you tolerate all that well enough. Today, many say that they believe in the Bible, but don't believe in the supernatural, the devil, tithing, speaking in tongues, casting out demons, healing the sick, the blind, the dumb, or feeding the poor. They don't believe in the word of faith that Paul preached. They don't believe in the words of their mouth, holiness, grace, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, or the empowering of the saints to do miracles. It could be said that disbelief in any of these areas could constitute a gospel other than the one that Paul preached as well. Religion is designed to steal your inheritance. Humanist religion limits you and the God inside you. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As religious critics think, so are they. When they say you can't do what the disciples did, it's because they can't. They say quod sumus hoc eratus, or such as we are, you will be. The mind of religion has replaced the power of God with apologetics. We are running on empty concerning the very healing, delivering, anointing that Jesus has told us to wait on and seek out before going into the world to spread the gospel. Humanistic culture is treated as being more important than the power to get results. Let's look at Mark. Mark 16, 17 through 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So much of the hermeneutics and exegesis injected into preaching the Bible have resulted in a soft heterodoxy. To make the truth of Mark 16 go away, we need extensive hardcore hermeneutics or theory to dispel what should be right in front of our own nose. You can't explain what you have no experience of or don't understand. The result of scripture is revealed by the Holy Spirit. It's challenging at best to understand scripture without the quickening of the Spirit. Without that infilling of the Holy Ghost, you don't have the benefits of the following. Let's look at John. John 14, 26, but the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things, and he will cause you to recall, will remind you of, bring to your remembrance everything I have told you. He will teach you all things. All seems inclusive to me. What's left after all? The mind of religion seeks its own to replace the image of God. It says, let's keep people ignorant of everything God's trying to do in their lives. Let's uh, make it a death sentence to give a Bible to a common man. Let's hunt down and kill anyone who disagrees with our religion. Let's tell people poverty is, to way, is the way to spirituality in Christ in order to control them. Let's create a God of wrath and anger to keep them frightened and controllable. Let's create a, a statue and tell people it will intercede for them to God. 
Let's tell people they can never know the will of God. Let's tell them they're like ants to God and of no consequence. Tell them healing and miracles have all passed away with the apostles. When people are free of these dogmas, they can't be kept in bondage. If you were an enemy of God like Satan, what ploy would you use to keep men in darkness? Relationship with God can free people from sickness, disease, poverty, lack, fear, and death. It's called deliverance. If you strip away deliverance by accepting religious foundations, then death truly does seem like an attractive pursuit for getting to heaven. But we've been given an abundant life, not an abundant death. Trying to live a Christian life by removing the foundation that made that life possible will not promote success. All the religious commentaries, cultism, hermeneutics, conflicting doctrines, and humanism bogging down the process makes having a relationship with God even more difficult. But the pursuit of truth, with the help of the Holy Spirit, creates more freedom, not less. It actually frees you from the thing most people are fleeing when they look for God in the first place. By applying common sense and scriptural logic for a relationship with God in place of a religionship, we'll find, along with the world, a tangible and believable Christianity. So, stand in faith, walk in love, and launch out into the deep. Till next time.